Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor at Centerpoint Fellowship. Today, we are starting a brand new series entitled Sin. And the first installment is inside your uh, jacket of your bulletin today, entire, and it's entitled Arrows Out. And I'll be explaining what that talks about today. It's a mindset that we have here at Center Point that we want to keep our arrows pointed out, focused on the needs of others, focused on what God wants us to do. And so today, I hope you'll find this a greatly encouraging message and a greatly encouraging series as we go through this, that God has things for us to do and that each one of us, each of us can be used by God right where we are, beginning right where we are to share the gospel with others. And so you're going to hear not only about some of the journeys of Paul and uh, his other sidekick today of Barnabas and uh, later on of Silas, but you're also going to get to hear stories from our own people during this series, how God is sending them. And so I want to pray that God's going to bless us today and leave us greatly encouraged. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you that, Lord, you have given us, you've entrusted us with the precious, wonderful news of the gospel and that we get to participate with you in spreading that good news all over the world, beginning in our neighborhoods, in our families. And Lord, that you love us enough and you equip us with what we need and so we can be your hands and your feet. I pray that today you'll open our eyes to this possibility, to open our eyes to new understandings and that you'll greatly encourage us today, that you have things for us to do in this world. So Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for empowering us. Please encourage us today. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Move me out of the way, Lord, and say whatever you once said to us. Amen. Point one of your outline is this. Paul and Barnabas were sent to spread the good news of Jesus by the early church in Antioch. Uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples over about a month and a half period. And then uh, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, there was an explosion of believers in the city of Jerusalem. And they all stayed together for a while until a great persecution came upon them and they were scattered everywhere. And everywhere they went, they started planting little churches. Well, from Jerusalem, some of the people went north up to Syria, and in the city of Antioch, a church was started there that took root. So this is where we're jumping in in Acts 13. Among the prophets and teachers who were there in the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. And one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And so in the early church, what had happened was is that as the group spread, as the group, as the people spread, they started little church at all the churches at all these different outposts. And here was one of them in Antioch of Syria. Well, in there, we've talked about in the past here that the Holy Spirit gives us different gifts. Well, there were some that were gifted with teaching and instructing people how they should live as Christians. There were others who had the gift of prophecy. And a prophet is somebody who's pointing out God's word and calling people to repentance and obedience and assuring them of God's direction on this and of God's love for them and that God will use them when they return to him. And so this had happened, and they were all praying together and fasting and worshiping. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit pointed out to them, hey, I want you to send, send two of your strong leaders here, Paul and Barnabas. I want you to send them out so they can go share the gospel elsewhere. That brings us to point A here. That's the kind of church we want to be. Center Point wants to be an arrows-out church like that church in Antioch. Arrows-out, focusing on what God wants and what others want. In fact, if you take the jacket on your bulletin, if I could ask you to take that and open it up, if you would do that, please. 
If you open it up, you'll see under our values on the inside section here, that one of the values, the biblical authority, authentic relationships, the third one listed there is missional living. We keep our arrows out by focusing on God and others. I mean, this means taking every opportunity to be God's messengers. It's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's awfully hard to see what God wants you to do in your life if your eyes are on yourself the whole time. I mean, it is really hard for me to know what you need when I'm only worried about what I need. Does this make sense to everybody? And arrows out means I'm praying every day, God, if there's somebody you want me to talk to, if there's somebody I need to encourage, if there's somebody I need to serve today, show me those people. My kids laugh at me. It happened to get just the other, uh, the other day, or I guess a week ago now, one of my sons was home for Easter, and we were getting some gas. He's a college student, so I was putting gas in his car. Can anybody relate to what I'm Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so we're at, the, <laughs> we're at the gas station, and somebody walks up and says, hey, can you help me with some food? I haven't eaten yet today. And my son goes, Dad, why does this happen to you all the time? And I go, because I pray about it. I pray that it will happen all the time. Do you know I pray about that? I pray, God, if you have somebody that I'm supposed to meet today, if there's somebody in need today, would you open their eyes to me? Would you help them see me? Because I might not see them. I'm like everybody else. I get busy, right? And so my kids go, Dad, this happens to you all the time. I go, yeah, I know. Why is that? Because I ask God to do it all the time. What if we thought this way? Hey, what if... What if as we're going through our day, before we start our day, every morning we said, God, is there somebody you want me to encourage today? Is there somebody I can help today? Is there somebody I can tell about Jesus today? So I got the guy some food, and I encouraged him. I said, can I pray for you? And he said, would you please? Now look, some of you are going to go, well, yeah, but you're a pastor, and you learned that in seminary. Okay, we did not have gas station 101 in seminary, Okay. There's no reason all of us can't do this, but that's a mindset. I mean, what have we thought about this? I mean, think of the difference we could make in our world. All of us together. I mean, think of hundreds of us were doing this every day. That's what God wants. Look at a couple things here from that paragraph there. The church in Antioch was a welcoming church. Well, how do I know that? Because listen to what it said. The church that took root there in Antioch, Well, there was Barnabas, and he was from the island of Cyprus. Simeon, called the black man, he was from Africa, and he had had a different skin color. Lucius, from Cyrene, another northern Africa. Manan, who was a child companion of Herod Antipas, who was some kind of aristocrat. And then there was Saul, who was a rabbi from Jerusalem. You had people with different languages, different color, skin colors. They were all there together. If I'm going to, first of all, have an outward focus, I have to be okay that God's going to bring in a lot of people that don't look like me. Secondly, the church in Antioch was a worshiping, fasting, praying church. Twice in that paragraph, they said they were worshiping, fasting, and praying. And the reason why is because uh, the church in Antioch wasn't just trying to come together for themselves. They were trying to ask God, what do you want us to do? They weren't just doing stuff for themselves. They were saying, God, what do you want me to be doing? What's your will? It's why every time when I'm doing these, you know, I mean, I've pointed this out to you numerous times here, but it's like when I do this message, I'm always praying, God, I want you to speak and move me out of the way. I really mean that. Well, I want more than that. I want us to be like, Lord, I want you to lead and move me out of the way. Whatever you want me, wherever you want me to go, please send us, all of us doing that. And that brings us to the last point there, the bullet point there, the church in Antioch was a sending church. They sent people out. 
I mean, people ask us sometimes, hey, you got a multi-site church. Your church is eight years old, but you already have extensions in Wetumpka and Pike Road, and you've tried to plant some things at some other places, and you have, we're working on another extension in Auburn, and we're working on that right now. Why are we doing that? I mean, because Paul and Barnabas, they didn't have that many leaders in this church in Antioch. It was a brand new church. Why would they send away two of their most valuable leaders? Well, the Holy Spirit told them to. I mean, we want to be a sending church. Here's why. Romans 10. If anybody ever asks you, why did Centerpoint do this? Well, because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Paul himself is quoting Isaiah 52, 7 there. We want to be a church that equips you to go every day. That's why we want you to read your Bible every day. So you can hear a little bit from God every day. Because who knows, you might have a word given to you that morning that somebody needs to hear at 10 a.m. the next day or later that day. Happens to me all the time. People say, wow, how'd you know? I'll give them, they'll ask me a question. I'll go, well, you find it right here. I go, do you have the whole thing memorized? I go, no. Well, how'd you know where to turn? I read it yesterday. Well, what are the chances of that? Well, if God's guiding my life, 100%. Same for you. What if I was thinking this way? Oh, and by the way, is it important to send people? Yeah. Now, I ask you to do one other thing. I'm asking you to open up everything all the time. Open, take your outline, lay it flat, and then look at the upper left-hand corner on the back. If you wonder, hey, is it important to be arrows out? Well, here are five reasons why we should keep our arrows pointed out. Terribly important. Every major religion in North America is growing except Christianity. We're losing 3,000 people from Christianity every day. Almost three times as many churches are closing in the U.S. every year as are being started. Half of all the churches in the U.S. didn't add a single person through conversion growth last year. In other words, if they grew, it's because their people had babies. They weren't sharing the gospel. And our culture is becoming more secular. Does anybody doubt that our culture is becoming more secular? If you doubt that, just watch television for an hour. This is why, y'all, we have to be actively engaged in this. Next to this list, next to this list, would you write the word urgent? Just write the word urgent anywhere on that page. Hey, why would Centerpoint think this is urgent? Why would we send people who are attending here, strong leaders here, head ushers, head leaders, elders, deacons from this place, why would we send them to Wetumpka? Why would we send them off to Pike Road? Why are we sending our best people to all these other places? Why don't we just keep them all here? Because there's good news, and we believe God has created us to do this. We want to be an arrows out church. Point B, out of that paragraph, it's really interesting. I want to point to you that God loves to send unlikely people to accomplish his work. Here's what's unlikely about it. If you don't know the story of Saul, who later changed his name to Paul, here's what he said. Here's his own testimony from Acts 26. He said, I used to believe I had to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus. I caused many believers uh, there to be sent to prison. He was speaking about Jerusalem. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them, I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, to Damascus, Syria, and I was on the road. As I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. 
Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. And I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And this is a guy who used to persecute Christians. He's now being sent out by the early church to lay hands on him. Hey, you go and tell people about Jesus everywhere. A guy who started out dragging people out of their businesses, beating them, helping stone people to death, throw them in jail, threatening them never to talk about Jesus again or they'll be killed. That's the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. That's the guy we're going to be following throughout this series. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul himself wrote about this. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that no one may ever boast before him. God loves to choose unlikely people. If you go, well, John, God can use you at a gas station. God can use you to tell people about Jesus. He can't use me. I'd be the least likely person. Perfect. Then you fit right in. And this is what God loves to do. He loves to use ordinary people so that no one ever stands up in front of people and go, well, I'm important and that's why God uses me. Mm-mm. He's important and God wants to use all of us. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? I hope you think it's good news. Point C, God sends us together, sends us out to accomplish our mission together. I mean, he sent Paul and Barnabas together. Here's a little background on Barnabas. There were a number of people, as the church had gone, as these people fled in persecution, I mentioned this a little bit ago, here's what happened in Antioch, here's how that church got started, a large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord, and when the church of Jerusalem had heard about what was happening in Antioch, they sent Barnabas there. When he arrived he saw, and saw evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. And so then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large, large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch the believers were first called Christians. Don't turn your outline over yet, because I want you to make a note here. Below there, write down Barnabas means son of encouragement. That's what his name literally means. It was a nickname that the apostles gave him. He was the great encourager. So when Saul went out on these difficult missionary journeys, Barnabas was sent along with him to be the encourager. The other thing I want you to make a note of there, if you'd underline the last phrase there, or the last little parenthetical thing there, it was at Antioch. The believers were first called Christians. That's important. Because you had this church at Antioch. I mentioned you had this aristocrat. You had the people from Africa. You had Paul. You had... So you had Jews, Gentiles, you had Hebrew speakers, Greek speakers, people who would have been speaking other languages as well, and they were all together, and they were called Christians because nobody knew what else to call them. They weren't Greeks. They weren't all Greeks. They weren't all Jews. They weren't all um, Africans. They weren't all Syrians. They weren't all from Cyprus. They weren't all Cyprians, and they weren't all Israelites. Well, what did they have in common? You know what they had in common? Christ. They had in common their faith in Jesus Christ, and so they were called Christians, Christ followers. That's what it means. The one thing they had in common was Jesus, and it was enough. Now think about that. You know what binds people together in a church? Jesus. In fact, I'm going to ask that question, I want you to answer Jesus. You know what binds people together in our church? 
We can do a whole lot better than that. We're going to try that again. For those of you watching online, we had a lame response here, okay? Hey, what binds our church together? Jesus. That's why we're called Christians. We're Christ followers. It's not the color of our skin. It's not our age. It's not how long we've been in church. It's not our theological education. It's not even what language we speak. It's Jesus. Now you know why we want to be a church like the church in Antioch. And they welcomed everybody. And they sent their best and their brightest out because they said, this is too good for us to hold to ourselves. And this is what Jesus told us to do anyway. I mean, persecution had gotten the church that far. This was the first time the church had been intentional. Now you can flip your outline over. Point two. Paul and Barnabas began their missionary journey on the island of Cyprus. So they were going to go out on this missionary journey. Where'd they start? So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia. And you don't have to know where these places are. I'll explain it in a minute. And then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue and preached the word of God. After, they traveled from town to ta- after that, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they reached Paphos, which was the capital city. That's where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He'd attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. Now the governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. So Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye, and then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, enemy of all that's good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you. You're going to be struck blind. You won't see the sunlight for some time. And instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer, and he, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and Barnabas were sent. Well, what happened? You're going to hear a whole bunch of stories like this, amazing stories. And each time I'm going to try to point out some observations as we go through how it applies to us. Here are a couple applications. First of all, point A, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus to our friends, our relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, starting where we are. And you go, John, how did you get that out of this? They left where they were to go to Cyprus. Yeah, but the thing you need to understand is Barnabas was from Cyprus. This was Barnabas' neighborhood. It's where he grew up. So they started on this mission trip. Well, where would they start? And Barnabas goes, well, let's go tell the people I know. I want them to hear the good news. People I grew up with. That's why they started in the synagogues. He was a, he was a Levite. So they went to tell the people in the synagogues the good news of Jesus, the Messiah they'd all been waiting for had finally come. And then they went from town to town. So you get the idea. They started in this synagogue where uh, Barnabas would have had his bar mitzvah. And then they went to the next town where Aunt Judy or whoever lived. And then they knew somebody in the next town. Finally ended up in the capital city. And somebody introduced them to Sergius Paulus, the governor. And that's where they met his private psychic. I mean, can you imagine living in a world where a famous celebrity had private psychics? Oh, yeah, you can. I mean, sometimes when people read the Bible, they tell me, oh, I just can't relate to any of this. Really? We have all this going on in our culture today. 
But Saul, look at this. Saul and Barnabas were sent on their mission by the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I wrote that out is, is that that's where it starts. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. If you look at the first line of that paragraph, well, when we read the other one, they were sent out by the Christians in Antioch. So which one was it? Well, both. Remember the Christians in Antioch were seeking direction from the Holy Spirit? That's where they were fasting and praying. Lord, show us what to do. The Holy Spirit answered their prayer. The Holy Spirit's going to send us out too. You'll see that in a second. Saul and Barnabas began their mission where Barnabas grew up. Mentioned that already. He was from Cyprus. Saul and Barnabas began their mission by reaching out to friends, relatives, acquaintances, and neighbors in the local synagogues and the surrounding towns. Now listen to Acts 1.8, and this applies to all of us. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, which is where they were, throughout Judea, which is a surrounding area, Samaria, next, the neighborhood next door, the region next door, and then to the ends of the earth. Mission trips start where we are. And this is so important for us to understand. Amanda McHenry uh, is, works at, uh, part-time with our children's ministry over at our Wetumpka location. And she practices this kind of mindset, this kind of arrows out understanding of starting right where she is all the time. I want you to hear from her today. So listen to her testimony. I was in uh, high school or college and told my parents that I wanted to go to the mission field. And I don't, they are both believers, but I don't think they wanted their girl to, to go off. And um, in high school, it got me thinking and praying, like, I wonder if my mission field is my every, is the everyday life. I think it's in John 1334 where Jesus commands us to love so when I think about being intentional it is because of um, because how much he's loved me and my relationship it just kind of flows and in an area that um, it's flowing right now specifically would be our local Dollar General been stopping there every day for almost four years I have this sweet friend Monica I've been doing life with her where I know her kids' names and she has my number and and so forth. Um, another lady there, we went and visited in the hospital and got to her, meet her family. And one has come to church with us and it has just been an opportunity to uh, share Christ. Also, I, I believe that every opportunity is an opportunity. Like it is... Um, not hard to offer a smile, to text someone back after you've had dinner with them and say, I, I really enjoyed that. Something that helps me be intentional with other people is doing it right when Christ lays it on my heart. You know, if I'm in my, um, just call it quiet time, old school quiet time, and he just, um, through that, will bring up people and maybe places I need to stop by and people I need to call. And through spending time with him, if he's revealing that to me, I just, that makes it so important to me. Because if, if I had my way in my day, and we're not looking to Christ, to be honest with you, I would probably be eating popcorn and watching Netflix all day. And that's just me. But by spending time with him, he brings those opportunities to my mind and those people. So I believe that everybody has the call on their life to share Jesus. 
I don't think it looks the same for everybody. Just like I tell all six of my kids, the Lord created us all differently. And one of the things that I find my confidence in is not in anything I've done, but my identity in Christ. So I challenge you maybe to rest in who you are in Christ and God to use you just how he made you right where you're planted, not adding anything to it, adding a smile, giving a hug, asking how are you doing, but then say, no, really, how are you doing? Because right now we have a second. I want to pray with you. I, I don't love people off of what I receive or how I expect them to treat me. I love them because Christ first loved me. I don't expect anything in return. Yeah, Amanda takes care of babies in the nursery at our Wetumpka site on Sunday morning. She's a missionary all week long at Dollar General. I mean, I was asked by our staff, hey, if you read these stories of Paul the missionary and he's going out to these islands and he's being sent, what if people misinterpret that, that they have to be some kind of super evangelist? And it's like, well, then, well, then we can't even read most of the New Testament. But we were supposed to read the New Testament saying, well, good for Paul, but God, where are you sending me? They started, Paul and Barnabas, by the way, started right there with people they knew. Because they received power from the Holy Spirit, and they were God's witnesses wherever he sent them. Point B, to be successful in our mission, we must establish common ground wherever we can. Well, how'd you get that out of that paragraph? Well, I don't know if you noticed this, but it says Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the note there reminds us that Saul used his Greek name, Paul, to establish ground with Greek-speaking Gentiles. Saul was his Hebrew name, like King Saul. Paul was his Greek name. And their people were multilingual there. And so he wanted to relate to them. And so, of course, he'd use his Greek name. Hey, and he even talked about this himself in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, Look, when I, ate, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I'm with the Gentiles who don't follow Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I mean, if I was bilingual and spoke Spanish, which I wish I did, but I don't, I mean, I wouldn't go by my name as John. I would ask people to call me Juan. I would think. I wish I was bilingual, by the way. I'm having enough time, hard enough time with English. But, uh, I mean, we can establish common ground. What's common ground? Hey, if you know somebody that likes hunting and you like hunting, ask them to go with you. If, if you know somebody who loves to grab a cup of coffee and you like to do that too, go grab a cup of coffee. If you know somebody who's got kids the same age and you're going to the ballpark to watch your kids, ask them to come with you. I mean, this is, it's, this is what we're talking about. Just arrows out. You know, somebody needs to reach out to them. But what if that somebody's me? What if we thought that way? Like Amanda, praying about Dollar General. Mm. Point C, you and I must beware of false prophets. When they got there, on that island, there was a false prophet. John wrote about this too in 1 John 4. He said, dear friends, don't believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit you must test them to see if the, the spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. People ask me, I've had people ask me about this thing, and they go, have you ever met a false prophet? I go, oh, yeah, numerous times. 
I'll never forget uh, a few years back, went up to UAB to pray for a man who was about to die. Um, he had AIDS, had lived a very sinful lifestyle, lots of sexual sin, lots of all kinds of illicit encounters and other things, and had a very hard life. Was dying at a young, young age. And they asked me to go talk to him about Jesus. And so I did, and there was a chaplain there. And um, the chaplain and I had a discussion. He said, well, what did you tell him? I told him, it's never too late to repent. God always forgives us. The thief on the cross found forgiveness before he died. And if you confess your sins to Christ, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I said, man, and he rebuked me. And he said, how dare you? This man has suffered enough in his life, and now you're going to make him worry about the afterlife? There is no such thing as heaven or hell. I'm going to go and talk to him and tell him everything you said was a lie. And oh man, my words to him were not quite, he did not, he was not cast blind or anything, but I did tell him, I did tell him, you are an agent of the devil. How dare you keep the truth of God's forgiveness away from this man when he's probably 10 minutes away from dying. This is the great news that even if we've wasted our life here, there's forgiveness and new life forevermore. He was a false prophet. And by the way, there are many false prophets. That guy was a, an ordained pastor in a mainline denomination that no longer believes in the Bible. Is that common in our day? Well, you better believe it. False prophets telling people the, the truth of the gospel, gutting it for who knows what reason. It's good news. We don't, but repentance is all part of it. And finally, the last point on this I want to bring out is that the good news of Jesus is powerful and saves everyone who believes. I mean, that was what I was trying to share with the guy in the hospital. Well, Sergius Paulus, this guy, after he saw this guy struck with this, it says that that really grabbed his attention. But notice what convinced him. When the governor saw what happened, he became a believer. But listen why he became a believer. Because he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. People ask me about that too. Have you ever seen anything like that happen? And I go, well, I've never seen anybody struck blind. At least I haven't been a part of anything like that. But I have had this happen to me. I have had people come to me and say, I want to become a Christian. Why? Well, I've seen what a difference it made in my wife. I've seen what a difference it made in my sister. I've seen what a difference it made in my boss or my employee. And I want that too. Because I'm convinced something supernatural happened because they are completely different people. That has happened many times. And they said, and I've heard what you said, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. They were convinced by the miraculous change in someone's life, and they were convinced by the truth of the gospel. Now, why couldn't that happen for you and me? Of course it can. And some of you, that was your story. God radically changed you. Paul himself had such a testimony. Your life by itself might be the miracle that converts people's or gets people's attention, and the gospel will be what seals the deal, the teaching about the Lord, which is why we need to have, be ready to share our, the gospel anytime we can. Now look, I hope as you go through this, you will be greatly encouraged. Amanda is loving people where she goes every day. I pray every day that God will open my eyes or open the eyes of other people if they'll see me, even if I don't see them. What if we all did that? What if we all were willing to be sent out and had our eyes, our arrows focused out every day?
Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just thank you for changed lives. I thank you for the power of the good news to change lives. I thank you for using Amanda and where she loves to go shop. And she takes advantage of that to be kind and to pray for people, to meet with people, even go visit them in the hospital because she knows them by name. God, I just pray that we'll be like that. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we'll be like Paul and Barnabas. Send me. I pray that we'll find common ground wherever we can. And God, I pray that we'll go out deliberately. If the Lord spoke to you about something that you can do, even if it's just praying every day for an opportunity, would you say, Lord, I heard you. I want to do that. I want your power displayed in my life. Use me. Send me. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.